0: then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Don't just work on the numbers as they are in front of you. Bear in mind that you're going to have to have something for the chunks. Hi, welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor podcast. I want to talk to you today about maintenance and refurb. This is something that's come up recently and it just frustrates me a little bit that people don't really think properly about long-term investment. And what I mean by that is often, for instance, in resi circles, people talk about the purchase price, the redevelopment, and then they work through their rental. They do a little bit of reduction for Um, vacancies, a little bit of maintenance, that sort of thing, and, of course, fees. Um, But what they're not really thinking about is actually long-term, if you're keeping this property for long-term, you will have to refurb it. It's just one of those things, right? And I think that often investors don't calculate that in, particularly new investors, because, you know, time's endless. You've bought this building. It's awesome. You've gone through this huge project of, um redeveloping it getting it perfect for a customer to move in and even if they are the best customer and they do look after your property at some point you're going to have to refurb it so at, it can be really exciting of course when you're looking at the numbers once you've done that initial refurb and you're looking at the ROI and you're thinking this is great right forever I'm going to be earning this amount of money and of course as inflation goes up I may even earn more But eventually, you will need to reinvest to get it back up to the industry standard or above. We found that. uh, We've had CMO buildings. We've got a CMO building over 20 years now. And I can remember changing the corridors and the communal areas three times. So I remember we fitted it all out. It It was a bit tired, to say the least, when we bought it. But then, over the years, we developed out Different legs and parts of this building. And eventually we did the whole thing. I'm like, this is fantastic, right? Look at this revenue coming in. And then you start to realize oh, sure, I need maintenance. So a little bit of money set aside for fixing the boiler, a little bit of money set aside for the odd bit of painting. But what you don't realize, or I didn't realize to start with, or didn't calculate was actually, I'm going to have to redevelop this entire thing over a period of time if I'm going to hold it for the long term. It's just the reality. Now, there are ways to mitigate it, right, which I'm going to come on to in a second. But essentially, you do your initial fit out. And then at some point, you're going to have to do it again. And it's like, do I do this whole thing again? I mean, often people talk about this in HMOs, Um, you run it for a certain period of time, it starts to kind of the shine comes off, it doesn't quite reach the market top now, it's coming down a little bit. And there's that decision process every time somebody moves out is right am i going to refurb and get it back up to top market rate or i'm going to let it slide slowly over the next few years but at some point you're going to have to make that decision either sell it or go again and i just think that a lot of investors forget this or don't think about it now i just mentioned about ways to mitigate it right you can't stop this completely but if you're in commercial and you're doing single lets, and you're doing FRI leases, there's a wonderful clause in there, for landlords, called dilapidations. And that can really help. And basically, if the lease is written well, the dilapidations clause effectively says, you as a tenant are taking on this property in condition Y. And when we get it back, we want it in the same condition. Because ultimately, you as a tenant are responsible for the bricks and mortar, And if you substantially change it or damage it or whatever, it's understandable that that should be handed back in the way it was. Otherwise, there's some capital expenditure to be processed, to be paid, which isn't really how um, a letting should work, right? It shouldn't be the landlord that does that. So that's what dilapidations are there for. But the clauses from dilapidations can be from extremely good for the landlord to lots of holes in it and better for the tenant. And i You know, we've had mixed results for dilapidations. We're going through some big dilapidations right now. I'm hoping that at some point we'll have completed that and I will do uh, another episode about dilapidations. But it's just something to bear in mind. If you're doing leases, sure, dilapidations are really going to help. It's probably the best method of looking after your long-term refurb costs, those sort of big ticket items that you might need to do because it may well be that the lease is written in such a strong way that actually you'd have to do it whether it's um, boiler replacement roof replacement or at least um, refurbishment painting there's certain things in that dilapse, um, uh part of the, the lease that will actually say you need to, or the client needs to make sure the room, the, the space is painted every three years or a year before uh, it's handed back. There's, there's some really cast iron dilapidation clauses. So anyway, moving on from dilapse, you might not have dilapse. Your customer might go bust. <laughs> so how do you deal with that? Another way is to take deposits. And of course, if you're doing licenses, this is something that we do um, on a regular basis. We always take at least two months license um, worth of deposit or rent as deposit, two months worth. And it's really important to set expectations at that point. So when you're doing those viewings and you um, particularly with this is really talk about license space and you're going through all the different things you have to do in a viewing, which is a lot, a lot of thinking. But one of the seeds you need to plant there and back it up when you do your your offer, I guess, is that expectation that when you get the property back, it needs to be in a reasonable condition. We're not going to serve dilapidations on them, but if the carpet's knackered or they've spilled coffee on stuff or the walls are all scrubbed, then we would expect some contribution from the deposit at a net cost to cover that. So it's taking deposit and setting expectations that there may be when, because eventually these people always leave, there will be um, potentially some deposit held back to pay for, I guess, wear and tear, excessive wear and tear. Okay, but this is only for their space, isn't it? It's not for communal areas. So communal areas, as I was saying earlier on, for our building that we've had for so long, we've replaced the carpet three times. And not because... It's got knackered um, super fast. It's just that when you've had a carpet down, um, well, actually, the previous landlord of course left, so we put in carpet maybe in the first couple of years. So then, eight years, even ten years later, you got to replace it, and then eight, ten years later, you got to replace it again. It's just the way it is, right? Because these things don't last forever. But that communal area is not really something you can cover with dilapse and things if you're giving people IRI leases where they're doing internal repairing and insuring only, so it's just their space, or licences, which again is just their space. Commonal areas is up to us as landlords, so um, we may have to cover that. Now, don't get me wrong, if it's a managed building and there are leases in place, there may well be elements of their lease that says they are responsible for communal areas, but only as a proportion of the amount of air that they take as part of their lease try not to get too deep and technical here, but basically there are some clauses within leases in multi-let buildings, but not generally for licenses. Now, some investors, what they do is they have some form of sink fund for big ticket maintenance items. So every year they're putting aside the budget to put aside five grand, 10 grand, 15 grand, whatever it is. And I think a lot of newbie investors are thinking, you know, I'm going to make 20 grand a year out of this property, but they're not Putting aside two to three grand and actually thinking, you know what, at some point this is going to come up and I don't want to use an entire year's income just to pay for a new boiler and a bit of roofing. What I'm going to do is just over the next few years, I'm just going to build up that sink fund so I can cover it with that. The other part is just keep on top of it from a maintenance point of view. I, I definitely hold my hands up here. We don't keep on top of everything. But the one thing that you've really got to try and do, is keep water out. If you've got maintenance where there's a lot of water coming in, or it's coming in in the wrong place, wood, soft furnishings, or sorry, soft plasterboard, anything, if you don't deal with it, that's the one that can really destroy stuff really fast. So, keep on top of that. Obviously, if an area is getting a bit tatty, but it's not going to get drenched in water, it can last a little bit longer, but it will start depreciating your income. So it's just that, again, that that balancing opportunity. How much am I going to charge? How much can I charge? How much time am I going to have to spend to refurbish the space? And of course, if you keep it on top of it by painting stuff fairly regularly, um, cleaning out plumbing every now and then, whatever it is, then that's going to help. But I'm going to make the point again, at some point you're going to need a chunk of change for a full refurb. So I just want to put that out there. I just think there's so many people that don't really consider that. Try and work it through deposits, dilapidations, but you're going to need a sink fund of some kind. So don't just work on the numbers as they are in front of you. Bear in mind that you're going to have to have something for the chunks. And of course, even if you allow for that in your cash flow projections, you're thinking, right, I'm going to make 20 grand a year. I'll set aside two grand, so actually I'm only going to make 18 grand. But you spend the 20 anyway and you're you're not keeping the two. It's still going to come back and bite you, isn't it? Okay, enough of that. I just want to bring that one out because it's been frustrating me a little bit how people are ignoring, forgetting, not thinking about those chunky change jobs they're going to need at some point and being ready for them. Okay, have a super week. I shall catch up with you again on Thursday.